Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we discuss hard-won self-defense lessons, as well as the information you need to survive a violent encounter. Listen as armed professionals, industry experts, national champions, and gunfight survivors help answer all your firearms and self-defense questions while exploring your rights and responsibilities as an armed citizen. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. And now, here is your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Co-hosting with me, it's Danger Pixie Actual, Melody Lauer. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good actually uh i'm i'm focused on the task at hand which is unusual so proud of you must have been the coffee oh, um, my child's growing up yeah right i'm older than you wait what that is true you are well, not super older than me but but you're the responsible party so that's oh, that's terrifying thank god hey guess what What's that, John? This segment brought to you by lucky gunner and federal premium ammunition whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition at LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, fire order case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of Federal Premium Ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never really have too much ammo. So this is going to be an interesting episode. Um, we are going to talk about non-permissive environments with a good friend of mine who we shall call Trevor. Trevor, how are you? I'm great, John. How are you? Oh, I cannot complain at all. Um, so as much as you would like to, um, who are you? And what are we going to be talking about today as far as maybe a definition of, of the area of concern for us? Sure. So I'm a technology exec, and I have traveled extensively throughout the United States and Europe um, and been exposed to um, a variety of environments where um, self-defense options are more or less available, either um, either legally or just as a practical matter. And today I'd like to talk about uh, what we call non-permissive environments, which are places where um, you may be restricted by law, regulation, or simply rule from carrying a full set of defensive tools. Okay, uh, and to and to be completely clear, uh, and this is this is kind of my. Uh, not only do my lawyers want me to say this, but I I agree with this. Um, we are not recommending to anyone at all that you break local laws. Um, that that is that is not something that we are saying. There are plenty of places, however, where uh, it is not illegal uh, for you to carry. But as you said, Trevor, there are social consequences or maybe even, um, you know, employment consequences or things like that. And that is a personal decision that you need to make. And, and, and none of us are trying to make it for you. We're simply providing information. So um, I guess my, my first question for you is what sort of got you interested in the problem at large? So it's a combination of two things. Um, 
first, I live in California, which is reputed to have fairly restrictive um, uh, personal defense laws. Um, but surprisingly, you know, if you actually take a good close look at the practical reality of, you know, living in uh, California or similar states, um, the, the reality turns out to be a little bit different. Um, and second, traveling outside the United States to countries in Europe um, and, you know, elsewhere in the world, you quickly get outside the comfort zone of, you know, a fairly well-protected Second Amendment right to personal defense and have to start getting creative with alternatives um, to protect yourself in case of, um, you know, mugging or assault. Okay. Um, and it seems like that a lot of people, when they start talking about non-permissive environment, and this is sort of endemic in the in industry anyway, um, but the, there's a lot of tool focus and tool fixation on that. And it's not to say that those aren't helpful, but what do you think – um, what do you think is of most value for people um, that are, you know, forced, uh, forced kind of into those environments? The number one most useful thing is knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, knowing what type of environment you're going into, understanding the risks and trade-offs, um, understanding what you're likely to need, uh, you know, just on a day-to-day -day basis, and being able to plan accordingly. Because the fact is that, while, you know, in the defense industry, we certainly talk a lot about tools and advocate for carrying a, a full bat belt at times. Um, the reality is that there are a lot of environments that are relatively safe where you would be better served by having um, a basic metal kit and a good flashlight on you than you would be by trying to smuggle in defensive tools. Well, and it seems like, too, the, when you say knowledge, is there, you know, it, it's very easy to sort of, like, give sort of like a little quick blurb to that, but is there any specific, like, what's been the most helpful for you? Um, number one most helpful for me has been um, medical, um, understanding how to, you know, effectively uh, keep and carry medical options on me, um, you know, having a tourniquet available, having um, basic, you know, a basic boo-boo kit in my backpack, having a pressure bandage somewhere. Um, those are things that get applied a lot more often than an actual defensive tool. The other, the other aspect of knowledge that gets applied is understanding the local environment, you know, what, what are the risk areas, what are the go and no-go zones, and what are the behaviors that actually lead you to, you know, situations where you might actually need, you know, a defensive option. And simply being able to map those out, understand the local environment and avoid those is nine-tenths of, you know, being safe when you're out and about, regardless of what you have in your pockets. Well, it's it's interesting when you're talking about the the go no go environments, right? I mean, we we all know people who are like, if I can't take my gun there, I don't go. And when you talk to people who either live or work in um, you know non permissive environments and for whatever reason make those decisions, um, they have a little. They have to be more select on the. Okay, I'm willing to go here but I know I can't be armed. Like, what is your criteria for like, this is a no-go area, you know, even though I can't or can maybe carry a gun here versus this is a go area, even with, 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 or without. I, do you know what I'm trying to ask Trevor? <laughs> I, I think I do. Um, 
I think one of the things that changes in a non-permissive environment is that even if you're carrying a force option, you may have a different calculus on whether to use it than someone who carries a gun every day in a, you know, in a place and, you know, local locations where, you know, they would not really feel inhibited about using it. Mm -hmm. um, so as an example, in California, um, there's this really interesting quirk in state law where um, if you are um, if you if you are magically armed at the time that a legitimate justified shoot happens, um, and you're proven, you know, either through you know a judge's motion or through a trial to actually have been justified in shooting someone, that firearm is treated as, as having magically appeared in your hand, and there's no questions about the provenance of it and how it actually got there. So effectively, there is a get out of jail free card. Um, you know, for a justified shoot um, in a defensive gun use in California. Um, and it's actually sufficiently noteworthy that even the California Court of Appeals has noted on this kind of mysterious gap between um, where did the gun come from and shooting the person who needed shot. And so, you know, things like making the decision to go armed, it has to include the calculus of, you know, one, what is the consequence of actually carrying in that particular environment? And two, what happens if you actually use it? And that second one is the one that I think that um, people pay a little bit less attention to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an, an incredibly important topic of not just what happens, you know, if you get caught, you know, for whatever reason carrying, but what happens if you actually, put, you know, use a particular tool in a particular environment. Well, and I think we actually got to go to break here in, uh, in about a minute and a half. So um, I don't want to get too in-depth on everything, but do you think that, uh, and you sort of said it, but for me personally, depending on where I'm at, um, really limits the options as far as how I will manage a situation as far as when I can start using force. And that can be good or bad, depending, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you are far more likely to disengage, um, far more likely to use um, soft management skills if you're in an environment where there are serious consequences to using force. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean that you sometimes need to risk your own personal safety a little bit more to disengage and get out of the situation that, where you might otherwise, you know, take a safer option and employ force earlier. Um, but, you know, if, when you're in a situation where it is a big bridge to cross from, you know, passively managed, managing a situation to the use of force. Um, you really do think twice about that. And it's when the situation starts to get out of your own, you know, decision and control that it really starts to get interesting because then that comes down to, um, you know, making a, you know, that's when you want to have thought about it ahead of time. Well, let me let me decided. let me interrupt you because we have to go to break and then we'll pick right back up. Uh, we're talking with Trevor about NPEs. You're listening to Ballistic Radio.
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDCX9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. Um, and before the break, we were talking about um, how where you're at and the consequences of using force can certainly affect um, when you employ that. And, and I think there needs to be a distinction made. Not many people, well, let me back up. Not, not many people at the beginning level of this understand that there are times where using a greater amount of force earlier can prevent you from having to use much more force later on. Um, and, and is that kind of where you're at as far as when we start discussing this and you start having to weigh your options of, you know, maybe I won't manage this situation as actively um, versus trying to be even more passive or, because I don't want people to think that, well, just because I'm somewhere where there's greater consequences, I'm going to try and avoid trouble uh, we're we're always trying to avoid trouble, right? Right. And I think that um, the the question really comes down to you know what is the appropriate amount of force to use? And um, to your point about using more force earlier, knowing what your what your practical options are, um, the things that you can do while while still avoiding you know unwanted attention from the local constabulary, um, it absolutely comes down to what's the you know, what is the maximum point of force you can use without actually getting in trouble, you know, yourself immediately. Um, and in many cases, um, if you're in environments where, for example, pepper spray is an option, mm -hmm. um, you know, that I would be more inclined to get more aggressive with the pepper spray earlier if I knew that it was a really serious step past that to escalate to a firearm. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually, so personally, I'm a huge fan of pepper spray because most of the places where I'm at um, and, and most of the places where I spend a lot of time, uh, the the local constabulary is much more used to or supportive of uh, self-defense in general, and the legal requirements to hit some with, someone with spray are much lower, you know? Right. Uh, and and I, think th I think there's a cultural element as well, which is that there's still a popular perception, you know, among a lot of the, the public as well as a lot of the law enforcement that I talk to that outside of law enforcement circles, pepper spray is a woman's defensive option. Mm -hmm. And so it's seen as a softer, less lethal, you know, less, you know, less aggressive option. It's seen as a purely defensive um, option that you can use against people. And so when, you know, when you're forced to employ pepper spray, um, because of that cultural preconception, you can actually employ it much more aggressively than you might otherwise, uh, simply because it's seen as a purely defensive tool. It's not seen as, you know, projecting force. It's seen as just simply protecting your own personal safety. Right. Um, it's, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, pepper, pepper spray is an everyone tool. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing for everybody. Well, and the perception on that is changing a little bit because there have been a few cases 
of criminals using pepper spray now offensively. Yeah. And some states have picked up on that. But but you're right. In general, it's still very much seen as a kind of a, a oh, you're carrying pepper spray. What's your own? You know. Um, well, it's, a, it's, it's seen as a soft option. It's yes. not a hard option like a like a knife or a gun. Yeah. It's a soft option because it is, you know, it, I think because it doesn't produce penetrating injury, people don't really take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people who don't take pepper spray seriously, over that set overlaps very considerably with the people who have never been on the receiving end of a spicy treat dispenser. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I'd... Uh... I think I'd rather. I'm trying to think of the things that I would rather. And as far pepper spray. yeah, so as far from as far as like from a general level, not not like injury wise, but just general level of discomfort or whatever. Um, I would rather be punched. I would rather be hit with a large object. I would actually rather be cut. Uh, and I'm not, I'm now sa- you're getting no. I'm, no, I'm, I, what I'm saying is, if, if there if there were no if there were no permanent injury, and all I had to do deal with was the discomfort provided by the experience. Oh, I was going to say no, 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 no. Okay, um, all right, then that makes more sense. You know, I'd rather be hit with a round. Uh, I'd rather be tased because pepper spray is one of those things that once you get it, that escalated quickly, John. Yeah, I mean, hey, don't kink shame. Um, it it sticks around. For a while, and it's really uncomfortable, you know. It, it is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm curious um, about. So, we kind of talked about the 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 work or non permissive environments. Can you speak a little bit more towards the social non permissive environment? I'm I'm really kind of curious about that as a as someone who has family members who are rabidly anti gun. Um, and kind of being around with them and having to interact with them, um, how is that? Whether you're armed or not armed. So, I have a spectrum that I use when evaluating non-permissive environments, and the first tier of that is basically what I consider a social non-permissive environment. That might be a property owner where they where they have a sign posted that doesn't necessarily have the force of law but they can ask you to leave on, on the threat of trespassing. And I think on that same tier are, you know, family and friend situations where you may be in a friend's house or at a, at a family's house uh, where um, they are fairly, you know, outwardly, you know, anti-self-defense options, whether it's guns or knives or whatever, and anything like that is going to cause you social issues. And so um, being aware, that's just being aware of the social train wherever you're going. And the, the, the response in both of those cases, um, in theory, is just, oh, you're just trespassing, they can ask you to leave. But the, the social effects of that can be fairly significant. And I think that people understate the, you know, the, uh, the extent to which, um, you know, having social issues as a result of being spotted, being armed, you know, are a significant part of the, the calculus in, in what force options you keep with you and how you carry them. Um, and, you know, I personally do think about that, you know, when going armed, um, whether I'm going to be in an environment where that's going to, that could potentially cause social issues if, if somebody um, finds out that, you know, that I'm carrying a particular force option. And, you know, and it does change, you know, my selection of, you know, what I'm carrying that particular day. And it's not like I have some kind of crazy carrier rotation or whatever, but I need to be able to throttle up and down going to different non-permissive environments 
so that one, I'm carrying tools that are you know relevant and effective for the, the environment I'm going to be in. A risk analysis is part of this, but two, that I'm not going to cause myself long-term social harm by being found out for carrying stuff that causes me to per be perceived as um, you know crazy or paranoid or even just offensive to my host. Mm -hmm. Well, you mean you're considerate of people? That's that's a, a right? novel thing in it's this. It's a crazy idea, right? So in and you sort of mentioned something, and I think a lot of people don't realize this too, especially when like the uh, the you know the next uh, single stack gun comes out in a caliber that some people don't want, and and they're like, why would they make this? And other people are going, oh, this is great. So throttling up and down, um, if you're serious about or, or really have to contend with uh, NPEs on a regular basis, you might. You might need different stuff for different days, yeah? Absolutely. Um, and that extends well beyond just the equipment. It's also how you carry it. Uh -huh. um, you, you know, what would work for someone who can work in an untouched polo shirt type environment uh, with, you know, with a loose shirt over the stuff that they're carrying doesn't necessarily work for me in a, in a business or business casual environment where um, I may, may wear more closely fitting clothes. Um, I may wear a tucked in dress shirt some days. And as a result of that, um, you know, my ability to conceal, you know, a breaded 92G, which is my, you know, usual choice of carry, um, doesn't necessarily carry over into environments where I'm dressed in business casual and there's not a lot of places to hide a full-size service pistol on me, you know, during the workday. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, as far as, so then you talked about positions too, um, well, here, let, let's do this because I'm, I'm bouncing around and I, I want to try and remain relatively cohesive here. So you said the first level that you consider is the socially unacceptable NPE, and then it you kind of imply that you've got more categorizations there. What, what's, the no, next, absolutely. what's the next level for you? So the next level for me is employers. And, and we've um, got about, so, I'm sorry, we've got about 50 seconds, so I will interrupt you sure. momentarily. Yep. So... The next level up is the employer, um, and the threat may be uh, loss of a job, um, and for a lot of people, that's a fairly significant thing, and for that, it comes down to knowing what your protections are under local law, including whether you can store a firearm in your car during work or whether you can actually carry on the job and have the protection of you know, law in your locality or state. Okay. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't necessarily realize about that, especially if it's someone that's got like a professional career that has licensing involved, um, getting fired for something like that might only not only lose them their job, but it might lose them their career. And at that point, if you if you you know you have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loans for a career that you studied eight to twelve years for, um, you know, let's say on like the medical field or something like that. Uh, if you lose your career, that's kind of like great bodily harm or injury, you know. Uh, but anyway, we got to uh, we got to go to break. We're talking with Trevor about NPEs. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it, and that's where Surefire comes in. 
from the new 1200 lumen EDCL 2T handheld or 500 lumen EDCL 1T handheld to the 1000 lumen XH35 or 300 lumen XC1B, Surefire can make sure you never have to yell, Aziz, light, ever again. Now, with more lumens and improved switching, the best just got brighter, Surefire. And as a special offer to Ballistic Radio listeners, you can get 20% off everything at the Surefire.com web store except batteries and suppressors by entering the discount code Aziz Light. That is A-Z-I-Z-L-I-G-H-T, no space. So we're talking with Trevor about NPEs, um, and you have a question, Melody. Well, yeah, and it's kind of um, you're talking about work in social or in the the employer, um, and being really specific about looking at you know, the, the consequences for that. Um, and also the threats. And I used to work in Pennsylvania. We're, um, in an administrative building that had a clause in there about carrying a gun, but they said for unlawful purposes. Well, if I'm carrying a gun with an actual concealed carry permit, that's not unlawful, you know? Um, so kind of finding those little loopholes there and then also, but it was a very, very anti-gun area and so sometimes I carried, sometimes I didn't, but it wasn't illegal for me to carry there. Um, but what was interesting was the level of stress when we got a shooting threat that was emailed to us and the level of stress that that put on everyone in the office um, because they felt helpless about what they could do. Um, so kind of what do you think about how you would maybe differentiate if, if your level of risk goes up in that kind of environment? I think that, one, you know, as you noted, understanding the employer regulations is the most important part. Um, two, the, there is always a trade-off between um, keeping force options with you versus getting caught. Um, and it kind of brings me to something that I think about a lot, which is, am I the person they're looking for? Am I the person that you know, that the, that the folks who would care about whether I had a gun or a knife or pepper spray or whatever in the building, um, are they some, am I someone that they would be interested and concerned about, you know, in the event that, you know, maybe there was a little hint that I might have something on me, you know, a little bit better than a, uh, a nice big pen. And, you know, when I'm looking at that, um, you know, all of those things factor into, you know, what is the appropriate level of, you know, self-defense option to keep with me? Um, because the fact is that a lot of times you are not the person that they are worried about. Um, and you're right. It is a stressful environment when um, suddenly people become aware that they are disarmed and vulnerable and do not have a lot of defensive or force options, and the employer doesn't protect them. There's no you know, most office environments have maybe a few controlled portals. They don't have any significant security presence. Your security presence is basically calling 911 and hoping that they'll get there within five to six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, um, it's really it's been really interesting to see both as I've, um, you know, been in these working environments myself, as well as, you know, traveling and teaching and talking to other people about this stuff, that the calculus changes when there is an actual threat and all of a sudden people who might have been, you know, anti-gun or anti-self-defense are suddenly looking for the person that they know shoots on the weekends going, hey, are you, are you, do you have options for taking care of the situation? And mm-hmm. they may not ask directly, but they definitely look towards the people that they know are a little bit better prepared. 
Well, and it's it's funny. It's like, wait a second, you had a problem with this just mere moments ago. Well, and I've seen both, though. I've seen like in that environment that I was talking about. I saw both. I saw the kind of, hey, you kind of do this, um, you know, wink, wink. I'm not going to ask you any direct questions, but we right. we good. And at the same time, I saw the opposite, where people became even doubled down on their rabid. Well, then we should just ban everything and we should, you know, and and anyone who's found with a firearm or with any kind of tool should just practically be burned at the stake. So it's yep. it was and it's was really a very telling time for me to be like, who are my potential allies and who are the people I really need to be careful around? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why being discreet is, is like rule number one. Um, concealed means concealed. And you have to think creative. I know that the convention for a lot of the, you know, for a lot of folks who talk about, you know, carrying defensive tools is has to be on your body, you know, has to be in a holster that's close to you. But the fact is that there are environments where may not, that may not be the best option if you want to keep defensive tools available. Um, because, because, you know, the fact is that I have my day pack with me all the time. And um, I may not keep a tourniquet or a medical kit on me but I'll keep it in my day pack. But there are things that I will keep with me all the time as basic tools. I will keep, you know, a, a relatively inoffensive, you know, Leatherman Skeletal clipped to my pocket. I'll keep a crazy bright flashlight like the EDC L2T clipped to my other pocket. And Thank you, Trevor. And it's kind of normal, right? I mean, it's a great flashlight and I love it. So, you know, it's replaced, you know, the other ones that I carry. And the, um, and the fact is that, you know, these are seen as tools and not weapons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's part of the force continuum is what can you carry and have visible that are that's not perceived as a weapon. Um, because that doesn't set off, you know, even the most rabid, you know, anti-self-defense folks don't get freaked out at the idea of a multi-tool or a flashlight. No. Um, and those can be extremely effective if you know how to use them. Well, and it's interesting you, you, you said be discreet. And I think that discretion goes beyond just your your physical appearance but be discreet in what you talk about even i remember in that environment i never talked about going shooting i mean um i remember one time i was sitting in a chair and i had kind of my foot up and i had a piece of brass stuck in the sole of my shoe and i didn't know about it and someone walked by and commented and said i didn't know you liked shooting and i i had this moment of panic of like is this a moment that I'm now going to be outed? And it, it had turned out that that person was also a shooter that I did not know because he was equally as discreet as I was. But until you can kind of, you know, feel people out, it really is best to just don't talk about guns. You know, even if it's your hobby, maybe maybe leave that for the discussion boards or the Facebook groups or things like that and, and keep it discreet. It, it is, I have likened it to being gay in the 80s. Um, you do have to be careful about who you're out to. Um, yes. And, you know, and, you know, there is kind of a social feeling out process to find people of like minds. Um, mm -hmm. and, you do, and you do have to be cautious about who you engage with and who you talk about stuff with. Um, I am somewhat less so. I'm fairly public in, you know, in the things that I do. Um, but I, that does not mean that I necessarily talk about it in a work environment. Yeah. So if somebody goes looking, you know, they can see that, you know, I'm a strong advocate for Second Amendment rights. You know, I like shooting. I like going to applied violence classes. But 
that is not something something that I necessarily bring with me into a work environment and explicitly talk about unless somebody asks me. And so knowing how to conduct yourself socially and be dangerous without um, sounding dangerous is an incredibly important skill set. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it's funny, too, and I think I, I said this um, – a mutual friend of ours said something about uh, – oh, I remember where it was and what it was – uh, that dangerous people don't have to tell anyone that they're dangerous. And then I, I replied to that comment, uh, and the really dangerous ones that I've known have worked very actively to make themselves appear less than they are. Um, oh, absolutely. I think that is a really underutilized skill only because, and especially when we get into this, like I am pathological about not telling people that I don't know what I do. And Melody's been there when like someone that I know I will never meet again asks us, you know, what do we do? And like, I'm like, uh, well, you know, I do consulting or like I work in media or whatever, whatever I think the answer is going to be. And it seems like though, and this is maybe the downside to that approach is the, the community at large benefits from reasonable people that are intelligent and well-spoken advocating for our community, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of like the line to walk and where do you do that and, and why not? But, sure. um, do you think, and that's, and that's one of the reasons that I've gotten more vocal and outspoken about, you know, my interest in applied violence, my interest in, in self-defense rights is that I do think you need, you know, a face on, you know, the, the right to self-defense that goes beyond, you know, the, the ex-Army Special Forces trainers and the Navy field guys and, like, all the high-speed, low-drag dudes teaching classes, you know, out on the ranges every weekend. And to, to there needs to be a face for the self-defense, um, you know, in, uh, industry that is people that you would see in a normal office environment mm-hmm. that, um, you know, are just like you and me that – you know, that do get out there, they do the work, they do train, um, they do work to understand the problems, and they work on not just the physical skill sets, but the social skill sets. Because I think that, um, in, you know, we talked a little bit about managing the social environment in a workplace, but in, when coming back to the theme of non-permissive environments, being able to manage interactions with um, basically folks with the color of authority, whether that might be an armed guard, that's been hired to, you know, screen people into a facility all the way up to and including a law enforcement encounter, you know, is an incredibly important skill set for somebody operating in a non-permissive environment. Right. Uh, we got to go to break. We're talking with Trevor about uh, NPEs. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issue and company and other factors. Not available in all states. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. So we're talking with uh, Trevor about NPEs um, and and being able to sort of manage all sorts of little subtle nuances with that. Um, Do you have a level of, you know, we've talked about the first one where it's friends. Social. Yeah, social. And and then uh, employer. Do you have one above that? Um, for you? Yeah, absolutely. So there are environments where, um, you know, I, the next level I think is misdemeanor, but I'm not, I'm not who they're looking for. Right. Um, and that actually describes, you know, a lot of environments throughout the U.S. where, um, you know, you may be 
you know, for example, there may be a sports venue that has, you know, particular regulations around it with the force of law, but I'm not necessarily the person that they're looking for to screen for, you know, for weapons or for, you know, just bad intent. Right. And being able to be, you know, you know, to being able to put yourself in that non-offensive, I am not the threat group as quickly as possible is incredibly important in this environment. Because if it's a misdemeanor type environment where, you know, it may be, it may mean some minor hassle, but getting caught does not necessarily mean, you know, the loss of your gun rights. Um, and it does not necessarily mean, you know, huge, um, you know, legal issues as a result. Um, I think that people frequently look at that and shy away from it and say, oh, well, if there's, you know, any kind of legal repercussions whatsoever, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to roll dirty. I'm just going to go, you know, with like the absolute minimum or just I'm going to leave all my stuff at home. Right. And I think that that's a situation where a deeper and better understanding, particularly by somebody who's studied the issues and who understands the, the law in that particular locality, um, is going to be an advantage because they're going to be able to um, – not just tailor their force options, but tailor how they socially engage with the folks who might otherwise cause them legal issues, um, knowing how to, you know, engage with and get past, you know, the, the perimeter security with, you know, the, the armed guards doing the, the uh, magnetometer gates, knowing how to interact with law enforcement. These are all important things to keep you on the, the gray man side of the non-permissive environment and to be not the person that they are looking for. I think that that is by far more important than any particular tool or gadget that you could carry on you is figuring out, you know, how do you actually navigate these waters without getting identified as a person of interest? Well, and what's funny, too, is I, I'm reminded of a specific incident where, uh, you know, Melody and I and, and my girlfriend actually were going um, somewhere where they had security, but it was, you know, it it's kind of one of those environments where is this legal? Not necessarily. Is it highly frowned upon? Yes. But I walk through a metal detector, set it off, and they end up... Wanding my shoe. Yeah. My really, really <laughs> strappy, completely, you can see everything, high-heeled shoe. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just standing there and I'm going, well, I feel safer already. And you, you know what I mean, though? Um, yeah, there's there's absolute deficits in practice as well as just cognitive dissonance among the, the folks who are, you know, do like just arbitrarily enforcing this stuff. And one of my personal favorite ways to exploit this in an environment where, let's say that it's not straight up illegal, maybe the threat is, you know, tr is trespassing or refusal of entry, and maybe there might be cops by who might hassle you, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. I love. Um, going places with people who are even further down the, they're not the person we're looking for spectrum than I am. Right. So if I'm going places with my wife or some of my female friends who might be carrying a purse or a bag, and particularly if it's a, a smaller, more compact purse, um, it is remarkably easy to take things that would be normally perfectly reasonable for me to have, such as my Leatherman Skeletool or to pop my pepper spray dispenser off of my key ring and to put those into their purses in places, you know, you can use things like tampons as camouflage. You can use things like, um, you know, side zippered pockets that aren't obvious as, you know, as storage locations. And because they are more likely to profile me as a male for carrying, you know, tools like that, 
and they are less, less likely to profile a 30 or 40 year old woman who might be with, with me as having these things secreted in her rather small purse. Um, it is relatively easy to bypass these kind of arbitrary security checkpoints with basic tools, um, you know, without even having to necessarily go to something that I carry on the regular, which is, you know, a ceramic knife or, you know, um, a, uh, you know, a G10 composite knife. And it, because they are not the person that they are looking for, you know, meaning my traveling companion who has something in her purse for me, you can literally hand them the bag watch them rummage through it and go okie dokie and then when you get the and when she gets the bag back you're like we could have brought a grenade through in there and then you laugh <laughs> yeah. about it yeah. right yeah and it's funny i remember going into um i remember going into a show because i go to a lot of concerts and a lot of the places i go to um it's it's not illegal but they still have physical security uh but i remember i was carrying a firearm and um, what actually, and I didn't realize I had done it, they missed the firearm on a pat-down. Um, what they didn't miss was I had pepper spray in my pocket, and they're like, you can't bring that in there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll go put it back in my car. And it's like that was, right. I'm like, and, and it's just, it, it's interesting, you know. It is. So. And I cannot underestimate the value of a big, ugly belt buckle mm -hmm. um, up to the up to the point where you go to an environment where they want you to take off your belt and hold it in your hat. Um, and that's where the point thing, where things start to get interesting. But that's also, you know, and it, that's also part of being prepared. So for example, I was at a comedy club in San Francisco not terribly long ago, and I was surprised when we got up to the door and they had added an armed guard and a magnetometer gate and the guard had a wand in case he needed to use it. Mm -hmm. And everybody was being filtered through there. And when I rounded the corner after spending 20 minutes in the entry line, the last thing I expected to see was a checkpoint, you know, where they were doing, you know, where they were right. actually screening people. But because I was mentally prepared, because um, even though I had use of force options on me, I had been through this deal before. The people I was with had been through it before. And we had maybe five minutes to get our, our stuff sorted out between, you know, the things that I was carrying versus things I couldn't have on me when I went through there. Right. And, because I was mentally prepared, because I I was not nervous, because I I thought through the process, I knew what the interaction was going to go like, and I knew how to get past the screening point. It wasn't a big deal, and because I wasn't sending social signals to the the guy who was checking everybody, because I was just just another middle aged dude out for a fun night with with the people he was with. Um, I was not flagged as being of particular interest as long as I didn't do anything to draw attention to myself. And we basically breezed through that checkpoint with maybe two minutes of quick shuffling of pocket contents, and then things were back to normal a couple minutes after we got into the venue. Yeah. Um, and so being mentally prepared and knowing how to deal with the – you're going to deal with the situation if you run up against an unexpected security checkpoint right. is a huge part of living, in, living or working in non-permissive environments so that you're not – so that if you're surprised, you're not unprepared to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? We've got about eh, two minutes left. Uh, what, what, would you, what would you tell people to consider before we go? Um, the number one thing I, I would say is learn about you know, the laws in the areas that you live. You may be surprised by um, you know, the, the things that you find. You may be surprised that there are less legal repercussions to carrying a gun than to carrying a knife, for example. Yeah. Um, that's the case in a number of places that, that I travel. Um, you may be surprised to 
you know, read about things like um, getting identified on the street for having a clip sticking out of your pocket, whereas you could walk around carrying a gun all day and nobody would ever hassle you. Right. And so understanding the social train, understanding the legal train are both incredibly important to being able to be not noticed, which is the number one goal in a non-permissive environment. Well, there you go. And that'll probably end up being the quote of the show. Um, <laughs> hey, Trevor, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Uh, I really, really appreciate you uh, speaking to this. And um, I'm, I will say this. I'm sorry to the audience for not being able to give more information, but I, uh, I, I, I like a lot of what Trevor has to say, and we've talked quite a bit on this uh, in the past. So I, I would... Uh, I would I would say that uh, you you should uh, you should consider all of these things. So, um, thanks again, man. I hope you have a good day. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks, thanks Trevor. All righty. Make sure you check out our website, ballisticradio.com. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/ballisticradio. And hey, keep leaving those five star review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. it. Helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week. Hi, Brian Thomas here for my friends at Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. Zero Res uses their own empowered water technology.